just literally out of the blue, I just said to her, look, if you give me two weeks work experience, I'll fly myself to New Zealand. I will get my accommodation. I will do whatever. Just give me a couple of weeks work experience so that I can at least have something someone's heard of. Yeah. And she said, okay then. Ever wondered what the creative process is behind the films, TV shows and theatre productions you watch? Well, Crew Chats is a new podcast going behind the scenes and chatting to the crew that help make these productions. I'm Poonam and I usually work in the costume department. Whenever I tell people what I do, they're always fascinated. So I thought, wouldn't it be cool to hear more from the wonderful people who work behind the scenes to make the films and shows we all love? Today's guest is Nick Buck, who is a makeup, prosthetics and hair artist who's always had an interest in fantasy films and mythology. And this is what inspired her to pursue a career in makeup. And Nick went on to say this at the London College of Fashion. Early in her makeup career, Nick Nick worked on the television show Xena Warrior Princess in New Zealand and after returning to the UK Nick went on to work on films as either a crowd supervisor or makeup prosthetics and hair artist on films and shows such as Star Wars, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 1, Maleficent 2 and Game of Thrones. Hi Nick! Hi Poonam! <laughs> Thank you for coming on to the podcast, I'm very very grateful. You're Oh no, welcome. You are a hair, makeup and prosthetics artist. Now what does your job i'm going to address the hair and makeup part of it first what does that job role entail big question Puna. <laughs> <laughs> as a general thing our job is to obviously get people ready and get them into whatever character they have to be whether that be period modern day broken down uh, beaten up or made into someone completely different it's all under the same umbrella so our job is to create whatever the piece warrants so whatever it says in the script we have to make sure you believe they're that person basically it make set them in that reality as yeah, it were absolutely absolutely oh and how did you get into this world? Well, I, I, I don't think I did intentionally in the beginning. Basically, when I was young, I was only interested in drawing. If I could draw stuff, I was happy. <laughs> really very good at academic things, unless it involved a diagram. Obviously, if it was an academic subjects that had diagrams, I'd be <laughs> much better points. If it didn't have diagrams, my grades weren't as good. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of relied on my drawing ability the whole way through school, really, <laughs> to get me out of failing stuff. <laughs> so when I was at school, I loved films, always, always loved films, always loved music. So my the only three things I was ever interested in was music, films and drawing. That was it. Um, so I spent all of my time doing those three things. And then as I got older, I knew that my only strength was my drawing. So I kept going with that. And then I really didn't enjoy school. So I asked my art teacher if he would help me leave. (laughs) 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 Because there was a uh, art college not very far away from our area and they did a year's foundation course. And so when I was 17, uh, I... I basically did this year foundation because he had given me such a good reference and the the art teacher at the foundation course said to me I will let you start and if after six weeks you can keep up with everybody you can stay so that's basically what happened and I was never you know because I was younger than everybody else I never excelled I wasn't ever the best in the college which is fine you don't have to be but you know I'm just saying I wasn't ever the best at everything but I passed everything so therefore I was allowed to stay oh wow so I did my year foundation and then in the Easter holidays I remember it so well because I was 
they'd sent us home for the Easter holidays and you had to give in your choices for where you wanted to go to college afterwards. And I thought, well, I love drawing people, so I would do a fine art degree. And I saw I was obviously watching a lot of TV and films during the Easter holiday, obviously. We all do. Yeah, any excuse, frankly. Um, Nothing's changed. And the Ridley Scott film Legend came on TV. And I remember absolutely watching this film open mouths, thinking it was the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen. And it involved everything that I loved. It was all goblins and fairies and this big evil darkness creature and all these things and I was absolutely thinking this is everything I love and I think it was just the fact that the uh, acknowledgement of having to fill this form out and watching this film and thinking that is everything I love that my brain kind of clicked and thought well you, you can't just do it you have to learn how to do that and if you can be taught how to do that, then maybe I can do that. At that moment, I literally tipexed out my college, my my choices for colleges, and I looked through the the book, and there was one college that did makeup, and it was the London College of Fashion, and I put that down and hope for the best. <laughs> and and here you are now. <laughs> I am. I know. Who'd have thought? I did. I went to London College of Fashion just after my 18th birthday, and I spent two years being absolutely terrified and not saying very much. But I do everything I could to try and do what they asked me to. I mean, was never the best at hair. I passed everything and I did everything I was told to, but you know, it didn't, that, that side did not come natural to me. And obviously you just, it's only when you leave college, you really start to learn. I really I think you, you know, you, it's only when you leave, you suddenly go, God, I actually know nothing, Mm -hmm. but it gives you a good basis to, to, to start. Yeah. Um, how, how was it, how easy or hard was it to get into the sort of film world then? Well, at that at that time, it was, it was actually really hard. I sent out a lot of CVs, a lot of CVs and, you know, tried to offer my services for free and, and tried to do just get my foot in the door somehow. But I didn't know anybody in the industry. None of my family had anything to do with it. No one I knew had anything to do with it. So it's really hard to get someone to give you a go. And um, I actually ended up working in HMV for six years. <laughs> Because the only other thing I knew about was music. (laughs) But then I got to, I think I got to my 25th birthday. And obviously when you're 25, you think this is a big deal. uh, Because it's like a quarter of a century. Yes. (laughs) Big deal. It's a milestone in your life. And I thought I've got to, I was doing makeup. um, I was using my holiday time and my sick time to do makeup for free and uh do whatever I could I was allowed to do you know um and I just thought to myself I'm not I either need to accept that I'm not going to get anywhere in this career or I need to try absolutely everything so that 10 years down the line I don't go did I try everything I could to do that yeah or didn't I you know and then I'd know and I could move on kind of thing and so I ended up I wanted to do prosthetics that's what I wanted to do because I loved creatures and fantasy stuff and all that and I thought I don't know anything about prosthetics about actually doing other than what I've done in my bedroom so I thought the only way I can get a job in a prosthetics department is I know more about straight makeup so if I can get a job on a show that does prosthetics and straight makeup hopefully I can slowly make my way towards the prosthetics side of things so I tried to think of every show that had both in it and it was at the time it was like Buffy the Vampire Slayer, made in America, can't go to America, need a green card. Uh, Star Trek's made in America. Um, 
Deep Space Nine was made in America. Um, you know, all those shows that I could think of, everything I could think of that had makeup and prosthetics were all made in America. And I was oh. like, and there was nothing because Doctor Who wasn't going at that point. Yeah, there was that's the true. big pause. There was this, there was a quite a few years where they paused Doctor Who and it wasn't being shown. And there wasn't really anything that did both at that time. And then I thought, what what else do I watch? Xena, Warrior Princess. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I and I looked and I was like, that's made in New Zealand. English people can get a visa to go to New Zealand. This might be a chance. Wow. So I I got the name of the head of department off the credits and I got the name of the production company off the credits and I got an atlas and I rang up a different city in New Zealand for weeks <laughs> trying to wow. find this production company. And then I discovered that it was a different name because in America, it's called Renaissance Pictures, and that's what I was looking for. And in um, in New Zealand, it was called Pacific Renaissance Pictures because it was a branch of that because it wasn't in America. And I ended up ringing back and saying, look, can you just give me anything with Renaissance in the title? And I got through to some computer company or something and they said, oh, no, no, we know what you're talking about, because obviously New Zealand doesn't have a huge amount of people in it yeah and uh, so I eventually got through to the company and I'd been trying for so long that I'd kind of given up and I was, so I wasn't really expecting it I think I was I was I'd come home from holiday and I, I had to keep ringing um really late at night because of the time difference I remember yeah. I was just lying on my bed not thinking I was getting anywhere I was like oh, well I'll give it another go try again try again try again try again and I finally got through and I wasn't prepared and I nearly wet myself because I was like <laughs> no 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 I'm not ready I'm not ready <laughs> and uh, they tried to put me through and then um they said she wasn't answering they said we'll just try her mobile and they'd already tried they cut off to try her mobile before I had a chance to go no <laughs> not try her mobile she'll be on set you know oh god and she didn't answer and I left her this rambling message I, I'd never forget I was just I was just like hello <laughs> calling from England you have no idea who I am you know? <laughs> and I was thinking I left her this message saying you know if you could call me back I put the phone down I thought she's gonna think I'm an absolute lunatic <laughs> but about 10 minutes later she called me back she was absolutely lovely her name was Franz of Francia Smeets she was such a lovely woman she could not have been nicer to me honestly and oh. she just said to me look I don't have any jobs we don't have a huge crew um and I said to her, look, can I just please send you my portfolio? All I want to do, if I send you that, just tell me whether I'm wasting my time. I said, because I can't get anyone to look at it. So all I want to know is, do I keep going? Is it is it good enough, basically? Yeah. That's what I need to know. You know. And she said, yep, here's the address and everything. And um, that was that. And then she did. She got back to me and, and I said to her, is it OK? You know, just is. And she said, yes. She, she was like, yep. And I said, do I need anything else in there? And she was like, no. She said it was all, there was nothing wrong with it. It was all okay. And I was like, brilliant. She said, but I'm sorry, you know, I haven't got any work. And I said, just literally out of the blue, I just said to her, look, if you give me two weeks work experience, I'll fly myself to New Zealand. I will get my own accommodation. I will, you know, do whatever. Just give me a couple of weeks work experience so that I can at least have something someone's heard of. Yeah. And she said, okay, then. <laughs> oh, my days. <laughs> Exactly. And, and to be honest with you, I kind of went, shit, <laughs> head. I was like, I've got no money. I can't get to New Zealand. But I was like, OK, brilliant. I said, give me a, a few months just to save up the money. <laughs> <laughs> and she was like, yep. She said, just give me a call when you're coming over. And Wow. And 
sort something out and I was like she, honest to god this she was just so kind that is um, so kind so I ended up working in a bookshop from 9am until 6pm and then I'd get on a bus and go into town to work in HMV from 7pm until midnight and I did that for six months to get the visa to get the money for the visa and then I put all of my I gave up my flat put all my belongings in in my mum's loft and got my year's visa to New Zealand and flew over there just thinking look you know what if it doesn't work out at least I've been to New Zealand I could yeah. get another job in a shop it, but at least I've been kind of thing yeah. so I I went and she was true to her word she came and got me from my B&B with uh, her friend who was a supervisor a woman called Jane O'Kane um the two of them came to pick me up from my B&B and they took me in and I washed wigs and I helped out and I did all that you know anything they asked me to do I did and then the second week she put me on set helping with the extras and I I couldn't believe it I I was just like she just couldn't have been more helpful more kind to me um so Fraz and Jane were were lovely to me and so I ended up doing the background and I stayed there for a year and a half (laughs) wow that is an amazing story so I was I was actually there and then um, they did have a prosthetics department and it was run by KMB at the time, which is a big prosthetics company. And there was a woman called Mel who who was the supervisor there. And she kindly took me on to help out because they'd lost an awful lot of people because it was the first year Lord of the Rings was being uh... see. So it was, it was in happy timing. Um, Mel took me on and, and gave me a lot of experience with the prosthetics and helped me develop that. Um, so between Fraz ended up leaving after the end of the fifth season and Jane took over so Jane ended up doing the whole of the sixth season which was the final season and Mel was doing the prosthetics and between the two of them they employed me until the show finished amazing which was was amazing they really helped me and it meant that when I did come back I actually had something on my CV that people recognized yeah so after that it started to get a bit easier oh wow that is an amazing story just also perseverance I think that's that's very inspiring I'm, I'm really impressed that's just an amazing story <laughs> I, you know when you think when you're young <laughs> oh well come on then let's just give that a go <laughs> no I think it's great I think that attitude is probably like it's got you where you are certainly but I think you have to try things don't you otherwise well, you just you don't also, know you also need people to give you a go you know? yeah that very much so Raz, I think Raz is the one that she's the one that gave me a go and I, I will never not be thankful to her. And Jane Jane O'Kane is still one of my absolute closest friends. And we've done quite a lot of jobs together since. She is an amazing artist, an amazing, you know, she's a, just a great person to work for and a good all rounder. And then and when I came back from New Zealand, you know, there wasn't there wasn't a lot of work because I because obviously the people I knew were in New Zealand. <laughs> I was like, oh, God. <laughs> But luckily, I could make facial hair. And it was something that I'd managed to do when I was at college. And it was something that Jane had given me lots of work to do on Xena as well, to do bits and bobs for her. Um, So when I came back, I actually ended up working for a woman called Sarah Weatherburn, who makes facial hair for everything, all the films and TVs and everything. And she was very kind to me. And she gave me a lot of work. And Sarah is actually the one that introduced me to a man called Paul Engeland, who another lovely man who he was just about to do the film Troy he uh bought loads of facial hair off Sarah for that job because it was a Greek mythology so they had loads of (laughs) 
lesbians in it. And um, he asked Sarah if she knew anyone who could stick them on as well. And she said, well, funnily enough, <laughs> Nick ah. can do that. And he ended up giving me a chance on that. And I did. I worked in the crowd room on that. And after doing Troy, that really was when I just continued to work after that because Paul was very good and he gave me a lot of work and you get to know more people. And then yeah. just it just builds after that. So I think after that time, I've been very lucky and I just haven't stopped since then. That is, it is awesome. Um, so you just touched upon a point about being in crowd. So when you get a job and a job starts, mm-hmm. there's an X amount of preparation that happens beforehand, yeah, isn't absolutely. there? Yeah. Run me through how, from say, if, if there's a, a designer who said, this is the vision that we're looking for, mm-hmm. or you've been given a brief, um, how do you start? Well, often, you know, the, the designer is your first port of call. The designer is the one that puts the group of people together. So they get the job in the first place and they decide what their team's going to be. And obviously they need the people who are going to be on the main team with them doing the actors. They also need someone to run second unit, which is usually all the stunt doubles and picture doubles and lots of different things happen there. Sometimes actors cross over to second unit. But, you know, so second unit is its thing. On big movie productions, that's a thing unto itself. And then you also have someone who's going to be in charge of the crowd because all these big productions often have an awful lot of crowd. Um, so the designer chooses that. And and for me, you know, it's whatever they ask me to do. So sometimes I'm main team, sometimes I'm in charge of the crowd, sometimes I'm in charge of second unit, sometimes um, I'm in prosthetics department, which is a separate department. You know, so it's 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 a bit of everything. But when it comes to crowd, as I say, the designer will say to me, would you like to come and run the crowd? And then I usually get a schedule. I start prep before the film starts and the schedule will. There's usually a crowd second AD and I talk to them. They give me their breakdown and that will give me all the numbers of all the crowd that are in each scene. And you have to figure out what period it is, obviously, what it involves. One of the big factors is how many men and how many women, because they take a different amount of time, depending on what period you're in and depending on what you're doing. Obviously, if it's high fashion thing, the women tend to take a lot longer than the men. Sometimes the men will take longer because the women, if it's one period, you know, they might not have hardly any makeup on, but they'll have big hairdos. Um, and the men could have hairdos and a lot of facial hair. So it's, it's all you need to find out what your designer wants uh, what period it is you talk to them a lot about all their the things that they envision everything to be because you know sometimes it's a fantasy film they could be loads of different types of people and characters in that so you have long conversations with your designer you find out your numbers and then you break it down into where your big sections are what people look like in those scenes how many dailies you're going to have to employ because obviously you can't do it by yourself <laughs> so that's physically impossible um as a general rule, every single person has to be made up. Mm. So whatever film you watch, you know, when you're looking at the people in the background, they've all been through hair and makeup, especially yeah. this period, because, you you know, that's going to ruin the film for you if all the background aren't in period hair and yeah. makeup. Um, so you have to figure out how many dailies I need to get those people done in the right amount of hours before they go. The day starts. And then you have to organise the spaces, you know, you have to speak to locations about marquees, you have to speak about rooms, you have to speak about how many desks you need, how many chairs you need, how many mirrors you need, how much stock you need. You know, there's there's a there's a it's a it's a big old job. (laughs) Yeah, there's a lot more to it than just putting makeup on people's faces. When you're on set, you sort of see it on the day on the day because 
you sort of see how big the crowd numbers are and how many of you guys from a costume perspective obviously but then also uh, i'm looking like just even looking into your guys's tent that you have set up the mirrors the desks the the products like the wigs um because i guess also the wigs a lot of them are made beforehand aren't they yeah i mean you hire them or you, you you i mean in the crowd you don't tend to get them made you will get them made specifically for your lead actors um but in the crowd you will hire them and uh they can be anything from human hair to synthetic hair which obviously creates different costings and also you need the people who have the ability to dress them you need to prepare stuff if it's like say a big 18th century film you're going to have to dress those wigs beforehand they're going to have to be ready so you're going to have to sort out how much manpower you need to get them ready before the day and there's just an awful lot of very very talented people who work as hair and makeup dailies who you just can't be without because they do beautiful work and it's it's very much an ensemble thing you there's no you can't do it by yourself it's physically impossible so you need talented lovely people around you who produce beautiful work you know and there's nothing better than walking on a massive crowd day when you've done like a four hour call and you look around the room and you stand on set and you just think, oh, my God, these people have done amazing work. And you, you get that excitement of looking at something and thinking this could be really good. Yeah. Um, I guess I was speaking to previous guests I've spoken to in the past. It's that moment where everything comes together. Yeah. So they'll yeah. have their hair, makeup, Absolutely. costume, lighting. There's like a set or if you're on location, the location and it just gives you a full context and picture of what you've been working towards. Yeah, so many people involved I don't think people have any idea of of how big a crew there is to make a film and everybody has such a different role and um you know you don't know what what people do you know there's so many yeah. different things. you have no idea it's like your podcast you know you're having lots of people from different roles you don't know what all these people do and it's only when you actually talk to someone um on set and you you know you're like oh what do you do and they and you, they go into a bit of what they do and you think my god I didn't even know that was a thing you know <laughs> it's fascinating because there's so many people involved it's hundreds and hundreds of people to get this thing off the ground and when you see the finished article it's you know you're often really proud that you've been a part of something oh, definitely a hundred percent just talking about relationships actually so whether when you're say if even if it's someone in crowd or if you're working on the principal uh, makeup hair and makeup truck run me through uh, your sort of mornings or start as it were how does it if you were if you weren't crowd supervising but if you were a hair and makeup artist <laughs> so if you're, if you're on the main bus you know you have actors that you do your designer will allocate you the actors that um, he or she wants you to do sometimes you hear them between you sometimes you stick with one actor the whole time it depends on what your designer needs and also how many are in each day because sometimes there's so many people in that you just have to you know you get on with whatever um they need you to do but as a general rule your designer has asked you to do uh you know two or three actors for that day so uh you come in on average around half an hour before they do you make sure you're set up you make sure you're ready for them you know you've got your wig ready you've got your facial hair ready or whatever whatever it is you need you make sure that that's prepped and ready in front of you so you know if they've got loads of tattoos you have to make sure they're all cut out you have to make sure you have all the continuity ones that you need if they've got some little bondo cuts you have to make sure you've got the mold there that's filled that's ready to stick on them you know whatever it is you have to make sure everything's there in front of you ready before your actor sits down because you're given a certain amount of time to do them yeah. so you don't want to be faffing around trying to find something no. so when they sit down 
obviously you have your you know morning how you doing da, 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 da. then you prep their skin you apply whatever you need to apply to them uh whether it be just a straight makeup a beauty makeup or cuts and bruises and blood and all that stuff uh you dress their hair as well if they need a wig applied you put that on you have to you have to um wrap their hair underneath the wig then put the wig on if they need facial hair you've got to make sure that's dressed stick that on and you're given this allotted amount of time usually you and the designer have come up with how much time you need and that you tell the second ad and that goes on the call sheet and then you have to stick to that time because obviously you can't you have to keep an eye on your time that's one of the main things you can't run yourself over because you're going to have another actor in your chair five minutes after they're out yeah so it is you've got to make sure you're on time so um once you're happy with how they look then you basically send them on their way and uh, get the next one in <laughs> <laughs> how important is that relationship because sometimes they would be in your chair for a couple of hours depending yeah. on what it is that you're do. doing to yeah. them yeah. how important is that relationship that you cultivate and is it important that you cultivate a relationship as it were yeah you do I mean you always hope you get someone that you click with because you never know what you're going to get sometimes it takes longer than others often I mean I've been very lucky I've made up people that that I've enjoyed spending that time with Um, because you're with them you're the first person they see and you're the last person they see you you have to have a working relationship with them you you do usually work your way around in just having a nice relationship with them because you're also with them all day because once it's on that's not it you know you have to go with them all day you have to make sure they look exactly the same all day sometimes you have to give them a makeup change a hair change during the day as well so you are you know you are spending an awful lot of time with each other it is the relationship is really important and I think I guess also and this was talking to someone else one of the previous guests on the podcast uh, podcast is they were talking about how once they have their in it was in that conversation it was costume but also then when they've got the hair and makeup on it really allows them to see the character that they're mm playing and you hope that's definitely what because you always when if you do a test beforehand you do go through and sometimes they have a really strong feeling of of what they would like and that's what they talk to the designer about and your your job is you know to make them feel like they are that person and if they feel comfortable and if they're happy with how they look then you hope that they can go out and go no I believe I'm this person for however long they are on that job for yeah I think it's a really important it's underrated I think costume you know you know you've got to have the whole package we all we work very very closely with costume and it's good that you have a good working relationship because you have to check the same people so you get a certain amount of time to check them before they turn over the camera so you if you've got a good relationship with costume you can you know you can work that out together and and it makes the job more fun basically yeah 100 percent. i think definitely i think the running theme that has been throughout is that we're the collaborative aspect of it and just kind of working together because ultimately our goals are all the same yeah. so it's just a really important absolutely thing. they look amazing as a whole that's all you can hope for you know yeah that's the aim so you've mentioned prosthetics and this is something i find absolutely fascinating say for example if someone said to you a designer said to you you had to make a uh, someone who's been in an explosion I'm going to use a really right. basic example someone who's been in an explosion how do you how do you start with that like how does that begin in a prosthetics world well it, it really does depend on what you're doing because often you know I have 
worked in prosthetics department that are a completely separate entity so they have their own characters they have their own creatures or whatever it may be but if you're doing something like beaten up or blown up or or something along those lines you can get pieces from a prosthetic person i mean i usually uh, work for a guy called david white who is a great guy brilliant to work for um and does absolutely beautiful work and he i know that say if i personally knew i had to do a character and they needed wounds and maybe a, um eye bags if their eyes were swollen if they've been hit badly or wh- whatever it may be then i would uh, ask david if he could make me some pieces and someone will sculpt whatever that needs to be and you need to tell them sort of what the injury entails how it was caused because that will give you a different effect because obviously if it's something like a stabbing that's going to give you a completely different effect to an explosion so you need to know what's caused it Um, you need to know how big the wounds are because obviously you don't want to you don't want to go too big if this person is still alive and wandering around (laughs) you've got to think about these things you can't have some (laughs) massive wound that they would bleed out in 10 minutes if <laughs> they got to carry on for the rest of this film without necessarily seeing someone to patch it up <laughs> you know oh. you know you've got to think about all these different aspects how far away from the explosion were there what was it exploding was it a bomb was it a um, window pane smashing through you know what what actually caused their injuries and then some of it you can do just with makeup just with um you know tiny little pieces or with blood and with shading and all that sort of stuff some of it if you want it larger then you will need to get prosthetic pieces but as I say that is something I would talk to David about say to him um, for example you know what the situation was and then they would sculpt us pieces they wouldn't it all depends on how big it was whether they needed to actually do like a head cast or something like that because if it's a bigger piece and it needs to actually fit them properly then you might need to get a head cast done but that would cost a lot more money so you you know you're also thinking about the budget and all that type of stuff so a lot goes into it an awful lot goes into it and then they have to you know get someone to sculpt it then they have to mold it then you have to fill the mold then they have to send you the piece and you have to know what type of edges you've got so that you know how to dissolve them because then of that gets stuck on first hopefully that fits in everything you're doing and then you apply all the makeup on top of that you would apply the dirt the um what we call like rubber dust which is so it looks like a bit of shrapnel you know dirt that's three-dimensional basically that's blown up into them you know you might add a tiny bit of charcoal powder in there to have a little burny effect you know there's 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 an awful lot that goes into it but the main things you need to know is is what's caused it and how close they were and the situation as to how much you put on them because you don't you want it to look really effective but you don't necessarily want a, a ridiculous amount of damage that they wouldn't get past it you know yeah. <laughs> that's true you get overexcited and you want to put everything on them but they just look at them and think mm, yeah you might be dead from that so <laughs> we won't go that far <laughs> I, I think it's so fascinating but and also I uh, just just listening to you there about talking about how close they were and um, how big the injury would be I just you just I even on a set or something I haven't fathomed those questions so it's really fascinating to know that well it makes sense now that you've had to obviously consider those things when you're it's cause and effect you know you need to know what has caused it to know what type of piece you need yeah it makes sense like, 
you know, like I say, if it's a stabbing, you're going to have a very clean, sharp piece as if a knife has gone through rather than an explosion would, might be more of a tear. So it all depends on what you're sculpting. And I need to know that to tell, like I said, someone, I'm using David as an example just because we've worked together a lot. I need to be able to tell him what it is and have that discussion with him so that when I get it back, I'm, I'm like, brilliant, that's exactly what I needed. That looks perfect for what I'm doing, you know? It's amazing. Um, that kind of brings me sort of onto my next point is what inspires you? God, a lot of stuff, you know. I mean, I do genuinely watch, still watch an awful lot of movies. I still really enjoy watching them. I enjoy the process. I also, if I have a big appreciation of just art in general and galleries and paintings and sculptures and all that sort of stuff. Um, but it can come from so many places. And I think, you know, galleries and that are really important because that you need things like that for reference. Mm, all the period films we do, the best place to go is just is go to the National, go to the Portrait Gallery, go to, you know, go to the V&A, go to all these places where you can actually see the things that you're supposed to be recreating that yeah. were that moment. But I also, I still love fantasy films and I am a bit of a horror film fan as well. And I do like things that, are, that are, I wouldn't say it's inspiring that I like things that can be quite gruesome because that's probably... Sounds, you can say that, I think. <laughs> that sounds really wrong. <laughs> Certainly, I know I've when I've worked for David in the past, I really enjoy working with his department because... There's amazing sculptors, there's amazing artists, there's amazing people who apply things. I mean, I do find that very inspirational because you walk in and I look at some of the work they're producing and his, you know, the concept drawings and all that sort of stuff. You just think, oh, my God, I can't wait to actually get to the stage where we're testing yeah. this and we're applying this because sometimes you look and just think that's beautiful and it can be a creature and you think you should should I be thinking that's beautiful but it is because no, it, yeah. industry involved is yeah. is just gorgeous and that I love I love walking into the room and seeing what we're going to come up with you know because that can be a, a very inspiring to sort of go oh my god how exciting is this that we're going to get to stick this on someone you know yeah, yeah I think that's great though I think it's great when you're inspired like I think it makes the whole working experience absolutely. wholesome and enjoyable and we get to do creative things and it's great oh absolutely absolutely and you know I can go in and work for a, um, a straight makeup designer and they've got all their mood boards out and it's the same sort of feeling. You know, you look at that and you just think, oh, my God, are we going to do this sort of thing? Are we going to do that sort of thing? That's going to be really cool. And you do get excited. You're also extremely nervous, if I'm honest, because you're like, are you going to be able to pull that off? You know, in your head, you're like, right, this this is a big job. This is we've got to make this work. Otherwise, it's got to be believable because the last thing you want is someone watching it and not believing it because if they're taken out of that reality then they're not in the movie and they're not going to in you know they're not going to accept what's going on in front of them so it can be any job it can be it can no matter what it is when you look at everybody's mood boards and you look at what you're going to produce you get that combination of nerves of right are we going to be able to pull this off and then you get the the absolute joy of looking at it on set and going oh my god we might have done it this is really cool <laughs> yeah. other people I've spoken to as well have said something similar that there is it's such a gratifying job to look at what you've done yeah. and you put so much work in it you spend so much of your life on set there's such long hours and everything 
but you do you know those days where you come away going my god I've been surrounded by these amazing people and I've looked at it as a whole like I say with makeup with costume with prosthetics with all those things put together and you look at all the beautiful set dressing and you look at it in in its place with the props and everything going on all at once and you just go wow I'm really chuffed that I stood that day and watched that and thought brilliant yeah I definitely I could definitely share in that feeling I think a lot of us can because it is pretty it's humbling in a way but it's just pretty amazing so what would be your ideal kind of project to work on if someone was like pick anything you want in the world what would it be I was lucky enough to to do my dream job which was Ah. ah okay because being a massive geek uh, from a very young age and I I have I used to be embarrassed by it, I don't care anymore oh, no, um, yeah. now I'm perfectly comfortable in my geekness <laughs> <laughs> um, and I was very uh, I feel very fortunate that I got to do those films and got to do something that I watched a lot when I was a child and genuinely loved when I was a child to get to actually have my name on the credits of a Star Wars film and watch it and go oh my god I did that which the one the one that I managed to get my name on was Solo and that was Amanda Knight gave me that job and I just I just had such a big smile on my face the whole time you wow. know just really enjoyable it was really enjoyable because we had fun and we all had a good a, you know a good working relationship and I got to do something that I never would have dreamed that I would have done. So I think those those things and when uh work for David on Gar- the first Guardians of the Galaxy to get to do those films which are films that I would have absolutely loved watching when I was younger and still love watching. And I think looking at those and looking at what we achieved and all the straight makeup on and all the prosthetics that we managed to do because Guardians I was solely prosthetics on that one and just to be given the quality of work on that and to see it all get done and achieved was really something else so I feel I feel very lucky that I've I've been able to have the opportunity to do those things that's really lovely so I think it's something to really be proud of um so we are coming to the end of the podcast but before we finish I know I asked you for your three favorite to watch recommendations I always watch Star Wars just because I can't. Those, uh, they're great. And like I say, the fact that um, I had the opportunity to do that brings me a lot of joy. But I would say if I was recommending to people, I love Pan's Labyrinth. I think that's a beautiful film. It's a great fairy tale, which also has its dark side, which also it makes you cry. And it also makes you just go, oh, my God, that is beautiful. That's, that's that's a Guillermo del, Guillermo del Toro yeah, film, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, that is a beautiful film. It's a beautiful film. There's a French film called City of Lost Children, which I think is one of visually one of the most beautiful things I've seen, and that's very of again fantasy based, stunning, absolutely stunning. And then I would probably have to, I would probably have to go for Legend, just because the Ridley Scott's Legend is the the film that changed the way I thought about what I could be and I do think legend changed the course of my life yeah I think that's amazing it's very serendipitous and it is a beautiful film because I do love Ridley Scott's films um he's done a lot of my favorite films you know Thelma and Louise and Alien and Blade Runner you know beautiful beautiful films but legend is visually stunning and the prosthetics in it are fantastic absolutely fantastic that's a really nice one to end on actually because I think it gets brings us full circle 
on the podcast um thank you nick for being a guest it's been really really nice and really interesting thank you Thank you for listening and I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Nick. Tune in for the next episode where I'll be speaking to costume designer Sammy Sheldon Differ.